Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. So the rent is due tomorrow. And since the beginning of March, there have been laws and executive orders that have provided some protection for people who've had a hard time paying rent during the COVID-19 pandemic. The governor even issued a so-called eviction moratorium for the entire state. But these protections never covered everyone. And this whole time, a lot of people have been kicked out of their homes. Your average person thinks eviction moratorium, okay, sheriffs, deputies aren't physically going from apartment to apartment and evicting people. And that wasn't true. CalMatters found that thousands of people have been evicted during the pandemic thanks to a big loophole in Governor Gavin Newsom's eviction moratorium. For the last few months, sheriff's departments across the state have had to make their own decisions on whether to evict people. Today, the renters that California's eviction moratorium didn't protect. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California, the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. So Jamie Burson is 35. Uh, She was born in San Francisco, grew up in Vallejo. Matt Levin is a reporter for Cal Matters. He's also the co-host of the Gimme Shelter podcast. 
She has an 11-year-old son, and before she was evicted, she was in a two-bedroom apartment in Vacaville. It was fine. The okay. environment was okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you can't complain when you actually have somewhere to stay after being homeless for over two and a half years. So, I mean, even if the environment was kind of loud, I still really wouldn't, you know, it still beats being homeless. She was living in subsidized housing. Um, Originally, the county was helping pay for that. Um, Then that funding kind of dried up and she was uh, working in temp jobs and then at Walmart uh, trying to make ends meet. Yeah, they helped me out for my first six or seven months. And then um, after that, well, by that time, I had to have uh, some form of employment to help myself. So that was all in the contractual agreement. So it's not like they just abruptly stopped helping me. It was like, look, we're gonna help you until here and um, and just try to have a job by the time we stop helping you, basically. After the county funding that was helping Jamie make her monthly rent, um, after that dried up, she kind of started having trouble making her rent payments. I was with that company and they were just basically making me take off, like around Christmas and New Year's, you know, that was like a whole week. So that was a whole check that I had missed. So I had to be late on that, um, that month's rent. And then following when I had finally got a job at, um, at Walmart, that was late for, I was late for February. So I was late for January and February. And that's when she got a eviction notice. Where does the pandemic come in for her story? So she she gets um, sued for eviction and basically loses by default because she basically misunderstood some of the eviction documents that she was served with, which is pretty common um, for tenants because it can get pretty complicated. These papers don't come with instructions that a regular person would be able you know, I, there's not enough Google time in the world for me to have to do all of the, go through the legal jargon is what they call it. So that was February and she had a lockout date for April. So that's when the sheriff's department was supposed to come and actually physically, physically lock her out. And in the meantime, uh, coronavirus happens, right? The, the pandemic really hits California starting in March. On March 4th, Governor Newsom declares a state of emergency. On March 19th, there's shelter in place. And meanwhile, Jamie is just kind of sitting in her two-bedroom apartment with her son, wondering, well, what's going to happen to me? How how scared were you of the virus itself? Or was I that- was scared because they were like, how many people were dying, you know, on a daily basis? And on a weekly basis, it was almost made me feel like mankind was going to go extinct <laughs> sooner than later. I know. I felt that way too. <laughs> when her lockout date came or when she thought she was supposed to be evicted, she decided to leave before the sheriff's department could come and physically remove her. She moved out of the apartment the first week of April and lived for a couple days with a friend and then lived in her car Um, with her son. So Jamie and her son ended up getting evicted from her apartment in Vacaville. And that's despite the fact that Governor Newsom issued an eviction moratorium in March. 
How is it that Jamie ended up getting evicted anyway? Because like um, many Californians, her eviction case was already through the system. So Governor Newsom's actions, as well as the actions of the Judicial Council, which is the um, basically the state court system that oversees what eviction courts can and can't do, all of their actions to stop evictions did not apply to eviction cases that had already gone through the courts where tenants like Jamie were simply waiting on sheriff's departments to um, come and physically remove them. In March, Governor Newsom issued a series of executive orders in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, like the first shelter-in-place order. He also allowed local governments to stop evictions on their own if they wanted to. Then, on March 27th, the governor issued what he called a statewide eviction moratorium. But tenants' rights groups criticized this decision because it didn't cover people like Jamie. People who had already lost their eviction cases but were at risk of being kicked out during shelter-in-place. This loophole left a lot of people vulnerable. So all the while in March, while the virus is spreading and people are terrified, more than 2,000 California households were evicted because they fell into this loophole. Is it up to individual sheriff's departments to decide then whether to kick people out of their homes? Yes. And these are sheriff's departments kind of across, you know, the quote unquote political spectrum, or at least in both blue counties and red counties in California. They would have much preferred that either Governor Newsom or maybe Attorney General Javier Becerra or somebody in state government told them explicitly, either you can do this or don't do this. And so in the absence of that type of directive, it was up to these individual sheriffs to decide we're going to evict the the people that are currently on our lockout calendar or we're going to hold off. Tenants and landlords are calling because they don't know and understand what we're permitted to do under the shelter in place. So that's what the confusion is. So I spoke with uh, Sergeant Lydia Montoya in the Kings County Sheriff's Department. And she told me once the shelter-in-place order from Governor Gavin Newsom came down on March 19th, they hastily had a meeting with the elected sheriff and a county attorney, and they decided, you know what, because of public health reasons, we're on solid legal ground, we are not going to pursue any more evictions. The executive order N-33-20 implies that it is not... um, uh, it's a public safety issue to have people out and about and certainly evicting those people out and about looking for rentals or whatnot or making them homeless is not in line with his with the governor's um, shelter-in-place order. So that's what we're standing on is this shelter-in-place. And I also spoke with Lieutenant Mike Fridley uh, up in Humboldt County, the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department, and they took a different approach where they, they paused for a little bit and then they resumed. What we're doing is the courts are the ones that are screening out these evictions, if you think mm-hmm. of it that way, because they're not hearing the no-fault, non-payment cases. It's made it through all their processes and it comes to us and it's been vetted. And that shows you the, the difficult spot that these sheriff's departments were in. 
they were individually determining whether they should do this or not. And do we know how sheriff's departments are coming to these decisions? Like what issues are they weighing? So a lot of it comes down to what they think they're on decent legal ground to do. So they, they these are court orders, right? This is a legal document from a court that says, hey, uh, you need to come and make sure that these tenants are gone from this apartment building or whatever in a reasonable period of time. Some sheriff's departments interpreted that liberally and said, well, you know, it's up to us kind of what reasonable period of time is. And considering the governor's kind of public health prerogatives here, we're, we're going to back off. And other departments said, you know, we feel that we have to do this, that we are going to be subject to maybe some legal challenges if, if we don't. Have there been consequences for sheriff's departments who've defied these court orders and have decided not to evict someone? So there have been legal challenges, none that have yet, to my knowledge, have proved successful. However, some sheriff's departments under kind of intense pressure from landlord groups have resumed evictions. So at LA County Sheriff's is a good example of this. They basically stopped in March and then they resumed um, within the last three weeks. And part of that was mounting pressure from landlords who, you know, were, were in a tough situation themselves if they weren't getting rent you know, starting all the way back in, um, you know, February, January, even maybe even late last year. And obviously the pandemic is very much not over and lots of people are still unemployed. Should we expect that this is just going to keep happening more and more, that people are just going to continue getting evicted? So I, I think it is fair to say at this point that All of those households that are waiting to be evicted, that are on sheriff's department's lockout calendars, they are very, very likely going to be evicted. The the question now is, okay, so what about those households who haven't lost their eviction case yet, um, but are behind on rent or will be behind on rent going forward? When When everybody talks about this eviction tsunami, quote unquote, that's that's what they're referring to. And where's Jamie Burson and her son now? Uh, The last I talked to her, she is waiting to see whether she can get the eviction removed from her record. Once you get an eviction on your record, it becomes very difficult to find a new apartment. Basically, for seven years, landlords can tell whether you've been evicted and they may not be very inclined to rent to somebody with an eviction. So she's hoping the court can wipe that away. And then after that, she will start looking again for apartments. You know, when I was talking with her in this motel room in Fairfield, where she was temporarily staying, you know, she was saying, look, I'm, I'm basically kind of giving up on being able to afford California. I kind of wanted to go to Louisiana and I kind of wanted to go to Arizona. So those are two places I was actually considering. You know, she's really worried about losing her support network in Vallejo in the Bay Area where she grew up. But she, you know, she's at the point where I think a lot of Californians were before the pandemic, where it's, well, I just can't afford to live here anymore. At this point, um, I know I can't afford to live in California. 
So I'm speaking to him and trying to get him to understand that we're going to end up moving to a whole other state. I don't feel like I can afford living here. If I don't have a job that's paying minimum of $20 an hour, I can't afford to live here. You, Matt, have been reporting on housing. What do you think this story says about housing in California right now? When these eviction moratoriums first came out, you saw a lot of headlines and a lot of news coverage that had the word moratorium. I mean, that was in Governor Newsom's press release. And I think when people think eviction moratorium, your average person thinks, okay, that means sheriff's deputies aren't physically going from apartment to apartment and evicting people and removing them. And that wasn't true. I mean, it, it just wasn't. That, that was still happening after this quote-unquote moratorium passed. And we didn't really have an idea of how widespread that scope was. And it turns out it's decently widespread. You know, you get these eviction lists that we got back from sheriff's departments, and there are multiple names for each household. And sometimes there's so many names in the household, they don't include them all. They, they just say from like 1 to 10, up to 10. So it's a lot of people who have lost their homes while shelter-in-place orders were in effect. What are kind of the most pressing questions on your mind about this going forward? Uh, The biggest thing is whether people got sick and whether this contributed to the spread of the virus, at least for me. You know, it's always a traumatic event if someone gets evicted. Evictions have long been linked with homelessness and displacement and gentrification. Uh, But now layering the virus on top of it, you know, public health experts warn if you're being evicted, there are quite strong odds that you're going to end up in a unsafe living environment in which the virus thrives. You're going to double up in an apartment. You're going to end up homeless. Um, You're going to end up in a homeless shelter and that makes you more vulnerable to the virus, and it could make the people you know more vulnerable to the virus. Matt, thank you. Thank you, Erica. On Friday afternoon, Newsom announced language for a new statewide eviction moratorium. But some tenant groups are already concerned the new bill still leaves many Californians vulnerable to eviction. Matt says the intuitive solution here for tenants who can't afford rent and landlords who need money to pay their mortgages is money from the state or the federal government. There's just one big problem. The the problem is the state doesn't have much money right now. And there's no money from the federal government coming soon. Matt Levin is a reporter for Cal Matters. His story was also done with Nigel Duara and Erica Yee. We have a link to their full story in our episode notes. This episode of The Bay was produced by Aditi Banlamudi and Alan Montecilio. The Bay is made at your public radio station, KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Talk Wednesday. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.